Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, why are people into that, listeners? It's Tina here. I want to let you know real quick about an exciting update on my comic Safe Sex. Safe Sex, or SFSX for short, is a science fiction comic book series written and created by me featuring a fucking amazing art team. It's about sex rebels in an American dystopia, and our heroes, of course, are a group of queer, kinky sex workers who call themselves the Dirty Mind. So, like, guests and listeners of this podcast, basically. The first book, Safe Sex Protection, is available now wherever books and comic books are sold. And the follow-up is coming later on this year. Safe Sex Terms of Service is a techno-thriller that asks the question, do you need an organic body in order to experience love and pleasure? Now, anybody who loves Why Are People Into That is sure to be a fan of this new book, which explores many of the same themes of this here show in the context of a darkly funny action adventure for grown-ups. So my really big news is that we are launching a Kickstarter in order for people to pre-order the new book. The Kickstarter campaign is going to run from March 15th to April 15th, 2021, But if you're hearing this the week of March 15th, 2021, you only have a few days to get the early bird special deal and be the first to snag some of the tiers that have limited editions. There's pledge levels to get your hands on the out-of-print floppy issues signed by me, plus some brand new swag, including an enamel pin and posters and risographs and even the chance to get yourself drawn into the new book. Despite being a punk DIY creator my entire life, this is my very first Kickstarter. So if you love Why Are People Into That and you've been looking for a way to support my work, this is an exceptionally meaningful way to do just that and get lots of great books and merch and experiences. And here's a few ways you can find out more. You can sign up for my mailing list tinahorn.net slash sign up. I promise not to spam you. It's going to be updates on the Kickstarter and then periodic updates on new episodes of this podcast, book projects, classes I'm teaching, the kind of stuff you want to hear about. And of course, if you're not already, you should definitely follow me at tinahornsass on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow and support the project on Kickstarter itself by searching for Tina Horn, that's T-I-N-A-H-O-R-N, or S-F-S-X, Terms of Service, or this URL. Are you ready? I promise this is... 
one of the only times I'm going to read this long of a URL on this show. Kickstarter.com slash projects slash Tina Horn slash SFSX dash terms dash of dash service dash graphic dash novel. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for tuning into Why Are People Into That and reading my weird comics. And now, on with the show. Yin, my love, how are you? <laughs> Hi. Oh, Tina, I am, I am doing very well right now. Um, yeah, I have had a quiet day. <laughs> I don't usually get because I have little ones and um, so I've had a quiet morning it's snowing over here Um, I'm right now surrounded by trees I'm out of the city at the moment and um, yeah I'm really grateful to be able to just have a have a have a you know a serene morning a serene day and just enjoy the quietness I also should mention that I have not gone on any links and I have listened to no news this morning on purpose um, to, so that I would not be filling my head with any of the outside jabber and just, you know, enjoy the quiet falling of the snow. Um, so it's been good to unplug. Yeah, that serenity is so healing and so vital in all times, but absolutely right now. So that's that's nice. That's like a nice, a happy place that I am going to take myself to when I when I need to take a deep breath. I'm just going to imagine being um, with you, but quietly in the woods watching little flurries of snow. <laughs> I do expect you to, to visit at some point. Um, oh, but yes. it's also, it's just so lovely to hear your voice. Um, mm. Like your voice is just a joyful one for me. It definitely <laughs> brings up like all of the fantastic times together on stage and at PS1 and um, raising money for sex workers that, you know, <laughs> kink out. So yeah, it's great to be here. The last great party that I attended were thrown by you. And I feel like that is one of your great natural talents is holding space for all levels of ritual, which is a part of your practice, but being able to hold space for celebratory rituals, also known as parties <laughs> which which is a, which is a kind of of energy that that I'm just like an absolute speaking of natural talents that I'm just an absolute succubus of that is like where I draw that is the fucking deep well where I draw so much of my energy and I have been cut off from the source from the, from that natural resource in the past year but so when I really try to tap into good memories of the perfect balance of well-curated company and well-curated food and music and intention and vibes and conversation and intense sexual energy. (laughs) I think of you. Oh, that's so great. (laughs) So thanks for those. Thanks for those memories. And I, and uh, you know, thanks for also giving me hope for more parties in the future. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, yeah, I think that that's been really hard, especially the, with the work that we do with, um, you know, sex worker rights activism. I feel like 
we're constantly doing this hard work, these hard conversations, even, you know, having this incredible, beautiful book of We Too um, by mm. my oh, bedside so and like so have, and reading through it, like I have to give myself pause because it is, it brings up so much of why we are fighting the resilient voices, but also, and, and like the incredibly beautiful vulnerabilities, but then you have to take a deep breath because we used to be able to then go from having these kinds of conversations to the karaoke bar yes, <laughs> or to the disco night or to the gay club and like, you know, or to the stage where we could get paddled on, on stage in front of like, you know, hundreds of people or, or, or in our own dungeons. <laughs> to the bath, to the hot tub, to the, mm -hmm. to the walk in the park, to the bike ride, to the beach. Yeah. Yeah. All of these places where we could fill our cups our succubus cups. <laughs> it's stark. No. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how do we find those those spaces of like celebration for ourselves and just like relaxing of having that drink with each other, of toasting to the full moon? Mm. Um, what is that virtual equivalent? And I think that your voice is my virtual equivalent of like being able to feel like, ah, oh, yes, this is this is where we um, have to gather and, and thrive and not just survive too. So yeah, thank you for continuing to do this podcast and oh man, getting all getting all the equipment to <laughs> together that you need to do this uh, in virtual virtual spaces. Thank you, Yin. You're also so good at gratitude and at um, plumping me up, uh, plumping everybody up. <laughs> you're like you're like the lip filler of the community. Uh, uh... I love it. I'm Botox. <laughs> <laughs> It's also nice to hear that uh, I'm not the only one who is in love with the sound of my voice. Uh, so <laughs> let me introduce you. Yin has been on Why Are People Into That before um, a couple of years ago talking about Mercy Mistress. You should go back and check out that episode. And I'm so happy to have you here to talk about We Too, Essays on Sex Work and Survival, which comes out in a couple of days, uh, February 9th, 2021. Uh, let me read your updated bio for everyone. Yin Q is a mother, kink educator, writer, and activist based in New York City. Their media work includes Mercy Mistress, a web pilot, and Fly in Power, a short documentary. They founded a production team called Kink Out. Man, production team is like one way of putting it. Um, <laughs> kink Out is so much. They founded a production team called Kink Out and organized with Red Canary Song, an APIA and Asian migrant sex and massage worker collective. Yin has been recognized by Spike Lee as an impact activist in his tribute to Jackie Robinson. Tell me about that. What's what's the connection between what's the triangulation of Yin Q, Spike Lee and Jackie Robinson? <laughs> Right, because I have to admit that I never watched baseball. Okay, um, but that said, of course, you know I was. This is kind of a story that I was a little bit embarrassed to tell for a little while. I was incredibly honored, of course, and and flattered to have a call out. I think it was like a year and a half ago. Uh, asked, you know, by a producer to come onto set and to be filmed as part of a list of impact activists, people who are like doing moving and shaking in New York City for Spike Lee's tribute 
film for Jackie Robinson. And then once I got there, so excited, you know, I put on my leathers to to rep my my community <laughs> and got there and met these really phenomenal activists who were just doing things from like um, from you know urban farming to uh, um, others you know helping girls survive depression um all all different kinds of um incredible work i met i met the first first female asian firefighter of new york city who was also you know became a captain and um as I was signing the waiver, I noticed that it was sponsored and I was being paid by, by Anheuser-Busch. So it is, a, it is a beer commercial. So these are two things that like I have nothing really much to do with, both baseball and beer. Uh, don't drink beer. I'm like, um, and I also um, don't really watch baseball. But that said, I'm still so flattered. It was incredible to meet Spike Lee. Um, and the fact that he's bringing a sex worker rights activist to stand along other activists was really important, I felt, to represent that. That is fucking great. I feel like, in general, Spike Lee is somebody that you can trust to make good judgments about, like, we're going to get that corporate beer bag and we're going to use it strategically. You know, yeah. which is which is horror thinking, right? Yeah, <laughs> so. and I I have to say from like you know having read and also heard from other friends of how he works, um, but then also being on the set and meeting the producers behind the set and mm. and like the the crew, it was really fantastic to see um, how many women, um, how many mothers, <laughs> like um, black mothers, were on the on set behind you know as crew and so i was able to talk to them about you know oh what are you doing for child care and they were like oh we'll make sure we get you money for child care you know boom Fuck i was yeah. like i was like oh my god that rarely happens unless you're talking to another mother you know and yeah so that was that was a fantastic um experience for me for behind the set as well i have to say oh that is so great i am so happy to hear that before we get started talking about your essay we all deserve to heal from we too. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about what is going on in 2021 with kink out. Yes. So I know it seems like we've been a little quiet because um, we have, you know, not been able to gather. Yeah. Um, however, definitely the work, the work is being done behind the scenes. So at the present, we are in a residency with iBeam. Um, Love iBeam. iBeam is an incredible organization. Um, if you don't know it, look it up. It's iBeam.org. It's um, a tech organization that brings artists and tech people together to really create beyond the box, <laughs> blowing up the box sort of, uh, you know, programs and, and technologies um, that challenge the way that, you know, systemic te technologies have been have been created, um, as well as, especially with SESTA-FOSTA censoring our work online. So at this, right now, we are in production of creating a private online art gallery for sex workers. Fuck yeah. And within this art gallery, it's this idea that all sex working artists and content makers and writers and people who just take a snapshot on themselves or just want to upload um, a video about like how their day is going, what does it look like? 
what's going on, what are their needs, what are their challenges, what are the dangers um, that they're facing at the time. If they just want to upload that, because those are the stories, those are these immediate stories that need to be archived, um, that they can do so for free by creating a profile and uploading their work, therefore creating an art space, an art artist profile um, that is private if they wish to keep it private. Um, mm. And they can then change the settings on each individual piece of artwork then to be shown to their either to their sex working comrades um, so that it can be a space that is like sort of like that locker room that safe locker room where that's behind you know the, the strip stage or um the den of the, of the dungeon or you know whatever space it is that like as we were speaking about before where we go to coke do karaoke where do we where do we get together to like just mm. you know talk and and share what our experiences are so that's sort of this that is the private space and then there's a veil over that you can lift if you so wish <laughs> <laughs> to as a little peep show to mm. the patron who can look in to see um to see your work uh, so it's a way to also be able to flag to art patrons as well as curators um, who are looking for sex worker art mm. to be able to find the art, find the artist, be able to contact the artists um, through email to say like, you know, like how much is your piece of work? You know, it's like so, mm -hmm. so that these these works of arts and these creations can be, you know, easily gotten into the hands of the people who, who want to buy them. Um, and this is also thwarts not only SESTA-FOSTA, but it's also this idea of like, who who is getting paid for our narratives right now, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> who is getting paid for our narratives? Um, is it going to be a producer for Netflix that's gonna get paid for our, our narratives? Or are mm -hmm. we going to be able to sell our own stories? And that's really mm -hmm. important right now. And that's what we're trying to create. Um, this private gallery first, with iBeam, and this is, this is sort of a, a seed project. Hopefully our intention is to then grow it to a space where then we can launch in the future and also uh, collaborate with many people on, a, on an international and global scale, hopefully, so that we can actually launch a sex workers museum. So that, and, and th that intention is to be able to work with organizations and different, and curators, uh, sex worker curators, all over the world in different locales so that people can voice their, you know, and show their art, um, write about what's going on for them so that we can build an alliance that is through the lens of artwork, archiving and storytelling. This idea is so fresh. It's like walking down the street and seeing a plant you've never seen before in somebody's yard or like seeing a plant that you thought you knew doing something that you didn't know it could do. It's such a fucking great idea. And I think it has so much potential. And I it just, in my in listening to you talk about it, I'm just sort of thinking about how like so many of those ideas and ideals, I feel like we've been trying to do in other platforms that already exist like we've been trying to bring our narratives to netflix we've been trying to bring our narratives to podcasts to art galleries to these like structures which is worthwhile work but like you said 
exploding the like the, being outside the box or like exploding the box wide open this is both like a new and like forward thinking like futurist thinking kind of content like futurist in the sense of completely reimagining the structure and reimagining the structure changes the terms of engagement between worker community workers and patrons and then also sex work community the the world of patrons and clients with sort of the like voyeuristic outside world that is sort of observing what we're doing and putting it in political context putting it in economic context putting it in sociocultural context like it's totally exploding all of that i'm so excited thank you yeah we are really excited i am incredibly excited i'm also ex i mean and when you talk about socio-political and you know and we have to say capitalist ideas of what's how sex work has run and been you know fed other industries and I, I actually, I wouldn't say feed, even it's been poached upon, right? It's been poached upon by other industries. Absolutely. Like, poached is totally the word. And everything that, that, everything that that entails from white supremacy to heteronormativity and so on. Right. And I think that like one of the things we were thinking of like also is like, how is this, how is even the structure, you know, we want, we want to be really intentional, like how is this even going to run on the internal side? So mm -hmm. this may be, you know, something, a space, a virtual space, but it's made of human bodies. And like, how do we, how do we then organize on the other side of, it, of the creation side? How do we make this a lateral movement? How do we make sure that, um, that we can reach sex workers who want to be involved? You know, and we were talking about co-op methods and like <laughs> co-op structures and like, you know, just like, so we're having like so many different conversations, not only from like, not only from like, okay, how to create a museum, but we don't want to create a museum the way the museums have been created, right? Like, I, I don't want to go, I don't want to go into the met of sex workers museums, you know, like it, I don't want to go into the sterile environment where, you know, you walk into the met and there's like all these, you know, there's over a hundred depictions of rape in the Metropolitan Museum. And yet like here, when we're creating an erotic, you know, when we try to create something beautiful and erotic online, it gets, it gets shadow banned. Obviously so much of the, the, the work from other spaces have been stolen, right? So how do we, of course, <laughs> how do we create something um, intentionally in a way that can then also really reflect who we want to be as, as, you know, as sex workers who are thinking about all of these pitfalls, <laughs> I guess that happens when you start to expand and, and try to grow ideas in, in this, um, in this world that again and again has like, tried to enforce a system of oppression on us. Speaking of trying to bring sex work sense and sensibility into museum spaces, can we talk about spaces? <laughs> which was almost exactly a year ago at MoMA PS1 in New York City. There's like a lot of people listening to this who were there and involved in producing it and performing at it and designing mm -hmm. it, who upon hearing that are just probably taking like a uh, huge sigh, you know, <laughs> of happiness, of of remembering it, and also just like the weight of everything that we didn't know was on the horizon. Mm. 
Yeah. But for the people who were not at Kinkout Spaces at MoMA PS1 in New York City in February of 2020, can you talk a little bit about what it, about the concept behind it and then like, how did it go? <laughs> how did it go? How did you feel about how it went? <laughs> um, yeah, so Spaces was incredible endeavor of kink out crew um, and volunteers and people and artists and you yourself <laughs> getting up on stage and offering yourself um, to to the lovely um, Mistress Ashley Page. Mm. And um, yeah, it was this idea of creating spaces for people who are underrepresented within the kink community, but also just a welcoming of leather, kink, queer, sex working cultures to be celebrated, uh, but also a way for us to educate, mm. right? The newcomers um, into our lifestyles to be able to educate them in a way that really provides that, that, that foundation of what, what is consent, right? So there was even like, there were even like pamphlets of what, what is consent? What does that even look like? being handed out. There were, um, you know, discussions, there were like, for every station that you went to, whether it was a pet play station, mm -hmm. or whether it was um, Tamara Santa Bagnez's, um incredible like foot station of, of printing, <laughs> the ink printing of, of the soles of the feet. There was this idea of consent and negotiation and constant communication. And it was also a leading by example in the sense that these two things that you're talking about were were fully integrated in a way that is very, very difficult to do, where you could simultaneously be there as a queer person, as a sex worker, as a kinky person, be yourself and be with your community and have fun. And, you know, some people had roles, some people had jobs to do, and some people were, were there as as attendees, as, as, as participants, as audience members, as voyeurs, there was very little asking people to step outside of their sense of presence and enjoying themselves in order to do that education component that you're talking about, right? Because like, I'll speak for myself and say that I'm, uh, part of the work that I do is facilitating spaces for people who are new to say, public play, like what was going on at the Dome at PS1, right? Puppy play, mm -hmm. boot blacking, impact play, all kinds of things, not to mention fetish outfits and fashion of, of all kinds. There, there's like the time that I'm teaching a workshop and then there's the time that I want to be at the fucking party, right? Mm -hmm. And if I'm being expected to swish back and forth phase in and out of the of those two spaces that can be quite exhausting and it can compromise my ability to hold that space as a as a teacher and to be able to be present in that space as a participant right so you 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 did something so special in integrating those where there was very little to no time that day that i felt like I had to switch out of my mode of being myself to like be Tina Horn 
for like someone else's benefit, whether they're like paying for the privilege or not. Um, mm -hmm. And that's, that's rare and hard to do. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. But also I have to say that I think that um, I have to thank all of the incredible like, like your, you know, community leaders and educators who were mm. there. And I think that was on purpose too. Um, so what you're speaking of is I think um, makes a difference that we had so many educators there so that once, you know, at one time somebody would get up and educate the, the, that, the, the crowd, for example, um, the phenomenal artist, Tiana McClodin, um, mm. speaking on, you know, black history within, within leather communities. Um, and then stepping down and like mingling or whatnot. And I feel like there was always, um, there were so many people around to be able to step into those roles of like holding educational space that mm. then it was like, okay, my, my bit is over here. <laughs> now I can, now I can go into party mode, you know, or I can be yeah. both, right. Or, yeah. I can be, or I can do both. And at all times in the outside of the VW dome in the art book, which is the store at, at, at PS1, they opened the space then for different panels to go on. So that Manhattan Alternatives were that was there, um, you know, mm. with with kink therapists. There was uh, hacking hustling speaking about you know what's going on with <laughs> gentrification of the internet. Um, mm. And so like to have all of these other things going on where there's educationals or there's more arts or there's more artsy work or you can just be flirting. You know, yeah, <laughs> it was fantastic. Like, I was just overjoyed. So, like, when you asked me, like, how do I think it went? I just, I'm, I want to be, like, a little bit modest. But actually, I think it was the fucking most amazing thing I've ever attended. <laughs> like, I, like I, for me. But I remember at one point, I was sat down next to Troy Orleans, who is, she's a black dominatrix whom I've known for, for so long. And yeah. we've, we've kind of seen the scene grow through, like, probably the past 15, 20 years, you know. Yeah. And... I just remember her just saying, like, this is incredible how many, you know, BIPOC people are here. And I was mm. like, isn't this, I just turned to her and I just like, doesn't it feel like such an incredible relief? Mm. Like, you're just soaking it in. Like, you just need to, like, fill, it's just filling me, like, to, to the fingertips with joy. And I also just said, like, this is how it should be. <laughs> Both, like, looking around and being like, I did this, we did this. And also, this is the way that it always should be. And I guess in a way also, like, this is the way it always has been, but w we haven't always been able to enjoy it in this way or on this scale. And yeah, I mean, friend of the pod, Troy Arlene's listened to her uh, episodes on bondage from a few years ago. Like, if you're impressing Troy, then that's, you know. <laughs> Yeah, she's not, she's not not easily impressed. I think <laughs> uh, for good reason. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, it, it felt really good. I mean, I also want to say that my time going into fetish clubs has always been okay. If I'm going in, there you know, there's usually a smattering of Asian doms, but we are definitely the Asian doms, you know, like right. and amongst the mostly white crowd of you know fetish kink crowd. Yeah. And so to be able to go into that space, to create that space, but then and have a, a beautiful array of skin tones and, and, and culture and, and ethnicities be glad in, clad in like leather and latex and all different kinds of fetish wear um, and people just 
you know, of, of all different backgrounds. And body types too, right. and ages. But then also, I will have to say too, that there is a, there is a white guy, a white cis man who came to me uh, and said, you know, I just want to let you know, your kink out events are like the most friendly, warmest, most welcoming spaces I've ever been in. Like in any you know, of the like the kink spaces, and I feel I feel like this this proves like how once we ra- you know when we raise our ideas of like we are raising and celebrating all identities, it doesn't exclude the other you know so right I, it's I think not that's a zero sum game right exactly and like so we are not we're not infringing on somebody else's like enjoyment of themselves you know? oh my God, yeah, we're actually just ensuring nonsense. that where everybody's enjoying themselves and and doing it in a way also where we're even what you were alluding to before where like the presence of someone who is like deviating from that norm i don't have to like list all the 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 identity <laughs> demarcations that like mm-hmm. represent that norm quote unquote norm whatever the fuck that means right the deviating from that norm either naturally or by choice is not presented as an object of fetish for the view of that norm right mm-hmm. or for the for the for the entertainment or pleasure sense of edginess of 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 that norm right the idea of like somebody not like going into a like a straight person going into a queer space and being like wow like i'm so cool and dangerous because i'm like in this queer space taking the cues from the people in that space about how to engage and realizing that you can enjoy it without colonizing it right Right, because queer, like a queer space, can 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 be well is is welcoming. I mean, it reminds me of this like Richard Hell quote about how like if you're not if your band is not your favorite band, then like what the fuck are you doing with your time? And <laughs> um, so like what what was it that made it the best party? Yeah. And I think that the recipe is really too with like the people I was working with, working with the people, the other producers on the team right all of the um performers and all of the, the the crew i think that was the ingredients of just bringing together and then drawing in the people to, to come to the party <laughs> to come to the learning to come to this, this like really incredibly sacred space and so when i looked around um i mean i was just constantly like things were just constantly blowing my mind you know of seeing as I said before, just like the spectacular amount of people who were enjoying themselves, being happy and like exploring leather or teaching leather, giving themselves the, you know, the opportunity to just um, celebrate themselves. I love to plan, mm-hmm. but I also love spontaneity and I love like just throwing myself into my ability to use my intuition to create something in the moment like i'm definitely both like a virgo but also an agent of chaos like that's just uh the the paradox of of being tina horn but um how, the way that i was able to engage in kink out spaces i think will speak you know speaking of like all-time greats like i think will i think it will carry with me my whole life as an example of something where there we just sort of had a general idea of Myself and Gia and Phoenix and Ashley were going to do some sort of impact play performance. 
and there wasn't a ton of pressure on like, what composition will you be performing for your recital and what key will it be in, right? It was like, Mm -hmm. we trust you. And Ashley and I had gotten together earlier that week and done a little bit of practicing but uh, but like but also a really big part of the practicing was talking about what how the importance of music in mm-hmm. that scene the importance of of music to impact play for us and the importance of of music to performance for us you know and like making a little playlist and then to that day be able to walk up to the DJ with like half a dozen songs and say I trust you as a DJ. Here are some songs that we would love to play and also like feel free to riff on the vibe of these songs. Like I think if you look at these six songs, you will like get what we're going for. Mm-hmm. And then to like be in this moment with this like really expensive state-of-the-art sound system, like a nicer sound system than I have been able to perform to in, in many years. Again, just thinking about like how bereft I have been and we all have been in the past year of things like experiencing music through a high quality sound system in a big room designed for sound also filled with bodies fuck man Mm. like (laughs) so again like going back to this moment of being filled up by like being able to be in a room and just like wearing boots and wearing leather and wearing a thong and feeling glamorous in the way that I wanted to and comfortable in the ways that I wanted to. Mm -hmm. And just being able to listen to Cardi B and play (laughs) with my friends (laughs) on stage and to just feel everyone in the room sharing that joy through the music, through the sadomasochism through the glamour, through the performance, and also through that spontaneity. And spontaneity is another thing oh, that absolutely. is like in such short supply. I remember you got a you got like a round of applause for for adjusting yourself as you sat down, adjusting <laughs> like the underbutta, the little flat. Listen, that's just the that's lovely just yoga. That's just a yoga move, right but there. But do you, you remember know? that that you got you got like you got a room of applause? Like <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> You know, yeah. just trying to, you know, I know what I have to move out of the way in order to get my <laughs> sits bones on the chair where they need to be in order for my center of gravity. Oh, we, to... we were all so appreciative <laughs> for your yoga move. Well, yeah. You know, I guess part of what I'm saying is that it was it was a beautiful moment for like me. Of course, there's like vanity involved in that for me <laughs> being a theater kid and living for applause but there it really also exemplified something that i that is really true about me being a diva that like lives for applause so much which is that ultimately what it's about is making other people happy by entertaining them mm-hmm. it's in service to the the audience like that's what i'm th- i'm there to serve them with my ass or you know whatever yeah Ooh, so I- it was fun it was fun yeah no, I see that in you. <laughs> <laughs> we recognize that, darling. <laughs> good, good, it's good, good, good. That's, good, that's, good. What, that's, you know, that's what, one of the aspects we love about you. After oh, all, thank you. We've like one of your, your, you've got showbiz attached to your, your email, right? 
that's that's true. That's true. By uh, a tattoo by Tamaris Antibanias. Right, uh, right. Yeah, it's all it's all you know. Community is all interconnected. Yeah, and also everybody listening to this podcast is like, duh. <laughs> we we also know this, Tina. I have to say too, I you know I am not so much a performer anymore. Um, mm. I, but um, as a producer of these events, I do love people having fun. I love people coming in and and like that they are the audience of the show that I have helped create, of the space that I have helped create. They are also, you know, creating that space as well. And so I really love seeing how, um, and bringing in people like you who are so good at and thrive on that audience um, vibe and feeding back and forth, where it's just like a really lovely flow that yeah. happens. And I, I was thinking, about writing as well, because we're, we're going to talk about writing a little, yes, <laughs> a little bit. Yes. I am not a writer who just writes into the oblivion. Like, there's definitely people who have talked about, like, that they don't necessarily write for an audience. They just write because they have to write. They have to get mm. it out of them. And I used to think that that was, I used to think that that was me as well. I thought, you know, mm. as a younger, like, teenage, angsty person who really just needed to write, I believed myself to be that kind of writer who was just going to write till my bones were bare and you know with the nubs and like right with my own blood and ink but um <laughs> but i've gotten it's hard to find the time to do writing you know yeah. and i've really thought about like well i've been sitting on this memoir for so long that like um and one of the reasons i haven't kept going back to it to write is because um i write for an audience like i need that audience so when you actually invited me to right for we too that's when i could go actually had the interest again to be like oh let me take a look at my memoir i have so much to write about i have so much that i've already written about um about you know these moments well what what incredible topping from the bottom segue you're doing for me <laughs> right now ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Fleenor. And I'm Sarah Sentry. We are the host of Bitches on Comics, a comic book podcast that is about comics and bitches. That's it. That's the show. We're dedicated to exploring comics and pop culture through the lens of gender and sexuality. You can find us on bitchesoncomics.com or on your favorite podcast platform. Let's talk about... We too. Thank you for talking about kink out. It it really is yeah. making me happy. And I'm happy too. I feel like I definitely feel like we're in the yeah we're in a bar with each other and just <laughs> yeah just having a good good celebratory time right now together. Yeah, we should fucking pat ourselves on the back. Shit's <laughs> shit's rough. I distinctly remember when Natalie West, who is the editor and creator of We Too essays on sex work and survival 
asked me if I would come on as an, a, you know, and we settled on the title of associate editor for me. And, and I knew that part of what I wanted to do was to reach out to people in my community who, um, who, who might have a story that they wanted to contribute to the general prompt of this book, which is, you know, sex workers responding to Me Too, sex workers talking about consent culture, really anything related to the topic of consent and how it has affected your life as a sex worker, which as evidenced by the book can go in so many different directions. And I'm so glad that we have so many different directions represented in this book. And I very much remember asking you if you wanted to contribute. And then I got you on the phone and I had just gotten off the bus and I was outside my apartment in Brooklyn and you were able to talk right then. And I just walked around my block like 20 times talking to you and talking it out. Cause as I remember, you were a little bit like, I think I want to write about this, but I don't know if that is appropriate for this prompt. And I was like, are you kidding? It's perfect. So do you want to talk to me about what you remember about that moment and what made you choose this particular story to write about it? And then we can talk a little bit about what the story is. So I, I want to say that there, there are definitely parts of this essay that I had written already, especially parts about my father, as well as the piece about me um, at the burlesque strip club and my the rape to me. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you had asked me, though, at that moment of, of what, you know, what would you like to, th- you know, to, to hone in on, writing about a client who hadn't raped me, but who had come to me as, you know, somebody who wanted me to work with them as somebody who has been the rapist. I think it was in my mind, first of all, because it's always been, it's been in my mind for a very long time, you know, his story in those moments and kind of my, my silence, my complicity into those, those moments of his confessions. But then also coming out of a time when you know, people were being called out and there was somebody else also in our community who is very well known, who's a writer who was being called out to heavily. And it made me actually think about, and I wasn't going to write about that story um, because it was just too complicated at the time. And if, 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 but I was thinking about how many people are in our midst, even if I've gotten like, an ick vibe from or somebody who I'm like friendly, but like at arm's length friendly, whom I've had in my home or have had in my events or have had, you know, who who are these people who still need community because then like once they're called out, they they were then completely shut out of their communities. Um, And I'm not saying that's right or wrong. You know, I don't believe that victims or, or people around them need to necessarily um, stay within contact. Um, You know, I think that everybody has their own decisions. It's that really difficult conversation of like, how do these people then heal? How do they learn? And do they learn? And do they, or are they just apologizing? Do they ever apologize just to save face? Do they ever apologize just to hear themselves say it um, or have other people hear them say it? But how do they truly heal and how do we truly heal as community? You know, as somebody who has also been an event organizer, 
being somebody who has been friendly or friends with people who have been accused of abuse as well as the other side or the people who are calling them out, the victims. I'm constantly also just like trying to have these hard conversations, not only in my head, but like to these, to, to my community, you know, how do we heal? So when a friend had told me, you know, everyone deserves to heal, even rapists, I was like, done, let me, let me go into this and see what does it mean to me? I think that there's definitely things of, you know, parts of this book that I, or sorry, parts of this essay that I was worried about writing because I didn't do anything. I was part of the culture of being quiet. Yeah. I didn't like stand there and sit and like start to berate him or shut him out or tell him, you know, what, a, how fucked up he is and like never to, you know, or to try to educate. I don't know. I just didn't do that. Um, I will be honest. Like I, as I said, you know, I dissociated and really felt like at that time I felt powerless. It is such a magical thing to read something that you've read a million times on a screen in a book, <laughs> um, both because of the finality of like, I don't know, it's a release of control and you talk about control a lot in your piece in a beautiful way, a way that's very meaningful to me. But it, it releases a little bit of control to read either something that I've written or that I have edited or, or you know, helped somebody to write, to read it in the book and be like, okay, well, there's no, there's no changing that word choice. There's no changing that punctuation. There's no changing this syntax. Like, this is the way it is in this book. And, and then also having the tactile experience of reading it. Um, but I was rereading it and there are two moments that you talk so lyrically and beautifully about disassociation. And one is, I pulled on my clothes as though I were dressing a mannequin. And the other is, a tendril of smoke floated upward and along with it, I felt myself unhinged from my body and hover above, watching my hands that had just been holding this man's body so close to my own. Yeah. There are themes of control, there are themes of disassociation, there are themes of forgiveness that you use as like recurring motifs in this story that are so beautiful and emotional and had such an impact on me both the first time I read it and as we worked on it together and now in this final form. I, I just, I can't wait for people to read it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, as you said that, you know, once people start to read it, then it's their own and it's outside of me then. And these things are definitely scary. Yeah. So I'm definitely handing people over this vulnerability of being judged, you know, and I think that that yeah. was so scary for me um, because, and I'm going to just go back, you know, reiterate something that's really out there within our sex worker rights narrations now of like, you know, we ourselves sometimes feel like we have to be the sex worker heroes you know, right. the happy hooker. Um, otherwise, we're the victim. And if we're the victim, then um, then obviously sex worker rights doesn't work, right? Um, somehow it doesn't make sense. And like to have these ideas that there's these binaries and not all these gray areas yeah. is really scary. It's really, really scary. Well, it's almost like that fear is strategic to keep us uh, discombobulated and to keep us from actually testifying to the world about 
our experience of what has really happened to us. And I think that even just that idea of like dissociation, that's not the only time it happened, you know, with that, with that one person. Yeah. You know, there were many times, there was many times of dissociation that happened um, throughout sex work. And it's not that I didn't, can't say, you know, it's not that I'm going to say now that I didn't have a great career. I loved being a sex, you know, doing the work that I was doing. Yeah, yeah of course, it's work. Too. It's work, though. And it's it yeah. comes with its problems. And it's really intimate, vulnerable work that um, we don't have, or we didn't have as many, I mean, probably still don't, we don't have just as many, you know, safety features or like trainings or understandings of like, what are we doing? And how are we getting into these spaces? And how are we going to safely mm. keep ourselves emotionally safe from the work that we're actually doing? What does that even look like being emotionally safe? Like, is that possible? Right. Is that a goal? Like, right. do we want, I don't know, this is something I'm thinking about a lot with Safe Sex, my comic, like, what does a world look like where we are emotionally safe? And is that actually our goal? And is that even possible? Is it possible to feel good without the risk of feeling bad? I'm not sure. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's true. And that's a very, and especially within work that, yeah, intimate work that we do. I mean, I'll, I'll refer to your story as well, your essay within We Too as well of like, just this idea that like, we're going into these spaces where we're trying to be brave or trying to create this consent around us. Mm. And I'm going to be honest, like, you know, we're trying to be that tough that tough person, you know, especially since it comes with the kink, it comes with our punk persona, it comes with, you know, for me, the goth persona. Yeah. Um, and like, so to be tough and then also to be able to handle everything that comes to us, right. right, is also just like an incredibly scary position to be in when you're then being faced by a client who has... Yeah, or, ma or managers, yeah. Who have no regard for that, you know, and have brings so much ignorance and, and disregard for what... What, what we're trying to create for those spaces. Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes it is ignorance. And I think sometimes it's actually like a knowledge of what we want that becomes so warped, the knowledge becomes warped, but also the like motivation that that person has, of like how they think that they are going to get their needs to feel powerful in, and in control, satisfied. Mm -hmm. Like, right. I think that sometimes people get into this mode where they, they gain the powers of discerning, like you were talking about my piece, like if somebody with a lot of experience in BDSM meets me and maybe has a skill, I'll say generously, for sizing me up, appraising me is a word that I use in my essay, and figuring out what this really means to me, where my pride is, mm -hmm. and then going about trying to undermine it. And like, I think that the sort of the thesis of my piece is that that is like the antithesis of like what BDSM has meant to me. Mm -hmm. And by the way, to sort of, again, integrate both our conversation about kink out and our conversation about we too, the reason that I am able to tell the difference and I'm not saying that I have 100% success rate, but like my my skills of discernment between an abusive scam mm -hmm. and 
the kind of BDSM that I want to be involved in personally and professionally, that discernment comes from two main places. One is books and being somebody who reads a lot about anything that I'm interested in and sex is, you know, <laughs> easily conversa <laughs> conversation for, for top three things that I've been interested in in my life and therefore want to read about in my life. And that's fiction and nonfiction have both helped me in that way, um, which is part of the reason I want to make books to be, uh, you know, push pushes glasses up on nose. But but then and then community and I use that term more just broadly to say like the you know my my fellow sex workers that I worked with in the dungeon the other uh, sex workers th that I've made pornography with and these are the people who have taught me how to tell the difference these are the people who have stood by me while I've had the experiences that have honed my instincts for telling the difference and these are also the people that i can come to and say i had this experience what do you what, can we can we break this down like can we can we talk about it like here's how i'm feeling can we put it in context and like being that for other people and like that is something that comes up in so many different people's stories in this book as well like mm -hmm. the kind of community that you have attracted with the beacon of kink out. And in many cases, those are communities that have been thriving for decades and a lot of different communities coming together and, and finding commonality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and maybe the idea is not like keeping each other safe, like completely protected, like swaddled and, you know, helicopter, like parented, <laughs> like from from the world or giving each other like Munchausen by proxy. I guess maybe like a better word in my mind is is support, like mm -hmm. like people who are there for, for you so that you can take risks, so you can scrape your knees, so that you can have bad experiences. And then and then as you as you frame in your story the, the 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 most important overarching theme of your story and the title of the story is that we all deserve to heal and like in life we're gonna have bad experiences and so then like how do we support each other in our healing and how do we support each other so that we are resilient for the moments that bad or scary things are happening so we can either take ourselves out of harm's way or not feel like as destroyed mm -hmm those experiences i i agree with you i think that community is huge it's also finding those you know those people certain people in community where you find that they're the ones who accept everything that comes out of your mouth and like and and holds it and, and may listen to you help and help you come to better understandings when needed right definitely supportive community rather than safe space it's a brave space that we're going into right um, it's not always going to be safe. It, as you said before, like these are not going to be emotionally safe spaces all the time. There's, there's just, you know, too much intimacy. There's too much, there's so much power loaded into so many different aspects of what we do and, and how we enjoy playing and with the power. I mean, I, one of the, the lines that I loved in your piece was power was to be played with, to be understood. You know, it's not that we're taking away power from any of these these and and that possibility of hurt from any of these things that but we're playing with it. I want to mm. say to 
and I think this is part of my confessions to the book as well, um, <laughs> that, you know, during my time as a dom, being in house with doms was such an incredible experience for me. Mm. And then honestly, like once I went independent and then, you know, I would host, you know, educational classes and whatnot. But at the same time, there was still that element that was very hard to break down within doms within New York City at that time, the generation that I was in at least. Mm. Um, and that was one of competition. Ah. You know, and I feel like, especially if you're kind of like one of the, you know, doms that showed up at the top of Arrow's Guide or whatever, you know, like it, it was, there's, there was like this slight, there was always this taste of competition with the friendships that I, that I had with a lot of other pro doms. And then it was the queer spaces and the, and the, and the, you know, my queer community where I felt most like, this is where I come to talk. You know, mm -hmm. so I wasn't always having the same experiences then with necessarily sometimes I'd be really ashamed to to speak about experiences that I had with clients to speak about it to like my friends in the leather community, yeah. you know, because there was also still that stigma against sex work, um, even within leather cultures, um, certain certain parts of leather cultures. So I feel um, leather queer cultures and that still goes on, too. I still I still get a sniff of it once in a while. Um, but that's, it's less. Same, same. But I, I think that that is one of the things that is so powerful about kink out. I, I'm biased because kink out represents the overlapping of the Venn diagram where I feel the most fucking comfy. It's like the place right. where I have like a, a hammock set up between my two <laughs> favorite trees. Yes. You yes. And, and so many other people have done really powerful work to make it so that you know, a, a like sex work exclusionary queer space is like, who wants to go to that party? Right. And so that's, yeah, exactly. That's why I feel like that's what motivated me to create kink out. Um, that's what I get so much pleasure in seeing of creating these spaces. And that's, that's also actually, I, I will say like as somebody who's considered an elder in like the leather and, and sex work communities that I feel like I'm also so incredibly happy to, to see a younger generation of doms as of of sex workers and of you know queers who are embracing each other and creating alliances and that there's i don't know i'm i mean i'm not operating within um somebody who's putting up ads and trying to get clients at this time mm. but i'm hoping and i i feel like there's just a warmer camaraderie yeah you know and and there were definitely pockets you know, of people who would get together and like um, sex workers, but they were <laughs> like, I remember once I arrived to New York City and I was trying to get a bunch of doms together for a, for a tea or, you know, like actually just some kind of like, you know, gathering to be able to talk. Um, I remember one of the doms just telling me like, you're never going to get this many cats in a, in a room. You know, we're, we've all got our, we've all got our wits out and ready for each other. And I was just like, really, I was really dissuaded by that. And even when I went to, um, LA this, you know, for the Mercy Mistress screening, one of the doms said to me, like, they were just amazed that I had gotten so many of the doms, pro doms into the same room. And like, there were people in that room who, you know, had beef with each other for generations or something oh i don't know it's like you know one of those reigns of legacies or something <laughs> <laughs>
I, or I hope to see that that is a, uh, you know, that is dissolving within this, this unifying idea of like, well, you know, we are stronger together. Mm. We are safer together if mm. we, if we can build these alliances and keep going. And um, so I think that that's part of like this idea of also offering my really vulnerable spaces of self-doubt and I can't, I don't want to say weakness, but like of like real trauma of this the trauma of dissociation, the trauma of like these spaces of silences mm-hmm. to this essay, because there's, that's so real, right? We're not just these, we're not just armored doms. We're not just armored, yeah. you know, like we're not just feminists who can take to the streets and they're so tough and like can, you know, bring everybody together in, in, in Times Square and like, thank God we are that too. Yeah, but being expected to be that 24-7 or not having our vulnerabilities recognized is a denial of our personhood. Exactly. We might have personas and we might be available to play characters, Mm -hmm. but, you know, I think because of criminalization and because of stigma, we are expected to be those personas all the time in a way that other kinds of performance artists, I, I think that people have a sense of when they're on and when they're off and, it's just not fair. Mm-hmm. Would, <sighs> I would, I would, yeah. <laughs> I would love it if you would talk about your decision to read your essay in its entirety at MoMA PS1 at a different day that was a part of the same residency that we called Leather Lit Day, which was both a, a zine making and a letter writing to incarcerated sex workers, just a, a a general sort of more low-key daytime event that then involved some readings and and an open mic and uh, was just, you know, also a a wonderful different kind of party and more of a literary event. Um, And you you hadn't planned on reading your piece, had you? No. (laughs) What inspired you to read it that day? Well, honestly, it's because we had more time in that beautiful art book space. <laughs> and you had read in the beginning, along with other yeah. phenomenal writers. And your Leather Lit Day, yeah, it, the bookstore was packed. But yes. it was pa- was packed with you, with Ashley Page as our hostess, KD, Bridget. Woo, and Nico, and Aza, Eve, and... Right, and it was our family, mm-hmm. right? If I was going to do a reading for anyone first for this piece, it had to be family. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I can't have anybody else pick up this piece. And since then I have like who are, who are not within the queer leather sex work culture. God, working with this piece with you where you really dueled this piece for me was, (laughs) was really an interesting process of writing. First of all, because I've reached backwards into writing that I had already written and then also wrote about the client in, mm-hmm. and that was a completely new writing for me. And mm. I would, I will say I had to actually dissect myself from my family to write mm. this piece. Um, mm. I, and I knew that I'd have to, um, I had to make sure that I wasn't going to have to go downstairs and make, make dinner for my kids <laughs> that, mm. you know, that same day of writing this, this work. Mm. So it was during a time when I was able to, or when I was doing workshop at a, at a, a college and um, um, I was able to then take a few days to stay where I was in the hotel and write this piece. Mm. 
then to be able to speak it out loud, read it out loud to the familiars of our fam of our leather fam you know, extended leather family. Yeah. Just seemed right. Yeah. <laughs> and yet at the same time, I was also still feeling very vulnerable. I was like right after I had to go sit down next to one of my partners and just like kind of gather strength. But I knew I was just with I was with family. You know, ripping your heart out and putting it in front of um, strangers is so hard. Um, But this was, I was just ripping my heart out and putting it in front of you all, whom I knew you were all just going to, yeah, swaddle (laughs) that heart, that bleeding heart, you know, like you were going to swaddle it. You were going to help take care of it. And you all did, you know, you all just like, just by your, your faces, your touches, your hugs, your love afterwards, it was so necessary. You know, I, I want to say in contrast to, I've actually given the piece to a friend to read who is actually outside of all of these spheres, um, mm. who is actually a parent friend um, mm. who who knows me, but, um, and him good friends with, but they are a cis white male and don't really understand all the nuances of like our culture and like who we are, what, what how we expect each other to be, you know, to behave. And yeah. And it was jarring to speak to him about it afterwards. Yeah. It was it was really jarring. The questions that came out of his mouth or the comments that came out of his mouth was was odd. Even the timing of like when we were when he chose to speak to me about it, which um, <laughs> was actually while I was cooking for the family. Well, um, you know, right. I mean, even like yeah, even that. Absolutely. And I'm not speaking about my partner here because like my partner's definitely on the inside of our family. But totally. I'm speaking about somebody else who's a, who's a parent of you know and. And I actually had to turn to him, spatula in hand, and say, this is not the time for me to talk about that piece of writing. <laughs> I was yeah. like, this is not, the t- uh, and like I was going to say this, and, but the kids were there. Like, this is not a time for me to talk about rape. And like, you would have yeah. known that, you know, like, and, and then we get back to again, like, who is outside of this idea of consent, right? Who Who is not being taught consent culture? <laughs> Yeah, even the consent of talking about your piece about consent and knowing when is the time and place or even to before launching into it, you know, checking in with you about how you might feel about talking about it and giving you the opportunity to say not now. Right. You know, in, in this time and age, we're still we're not at a point where we can rely on the empathy of others to understand <laughs> when is it time? Like, when are these things right and, and not? It constantly has to be worked. It constantly, ha- our boundaries constantly have to be up and, and, and talked about and, and you know, just yeah. <laughs> scaffolded <laughs> and mortared and bricked. <laughs> With a moat, maybe. Exactly. Uh, a drawbridge. So this book in itself, I mean, beyond my own, you know, my own essay of how I feel about my essay being in print and out there, this book of all of these voices, by the way, this phenomenal amount of stories, narrations, essays, and research. Oh my God, it is incredible, Tina, what you and Miss Natalie West have done and, um, and that feminist press has, has supported. I just feel like this has got like the blood, the guts, and the brains of just just so many people definitely tears and sweat and spunk and piss probably you know it it definitely feels like this this anthology just pulses Mm. and i'm i'm just blown away like i i have not i've read only um i will say i've only read one third i'm like 
kind of like creeping through it of like trying to read one essay every two to three days, you know, because you have it, to give it, yourself It needs time some digesting. Between. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate you yeah. saying that so much. It's, it's incredible. And I'm so proud to be part of this. I'm so happy to hear you say that. And I'm so proud that you're involved. And I'm so proud of you for creating this piece. And I was, I just really do remember being so proud of you that, that day at Leather Lit Day when you chose to read it because I knew how hard that would be. And in order to testify about something that happened to you, whether verbally to a small group or on stage to a huge crowd or in print online or in print in a, or in a book or a magazine or a zine or in one-on-one -on -one conversation or anything else, like a story does not have to be well articulated or crafted in order to be worth telling, mm -hmm. right? In order to be mm -hmm. worth saying. At the same time, for me, speaking as a creative person and as an artist, I feel like taking an experience, you know, as somebody who, you know, works a lot in nonfiction and is very interested in, in reading and, and writing and, and listening to nonfiction and creating spaces like this podcast for nonfiction conversations, I feel that taking an experience that has happened to you and turning it and, and crafting it into a story, making it into a piece, meticulously crafting every word, creating sentences, and creating those kind of motifs that I was talking about and returning to themes the way that you, you know, I'm not going to talk too much about the details of your piece because I want people to read it, but, you know, they're in right in the center of the piece. There's an image of two different figures in the story and your story jumps around throughout many different points in your lifetime. There's two figures in the story who are on their knees asking for forgiveness and you're witnessing it in both cases, but in both cases, you're not the person to give this person forgiveness, this person who's on their knees asking for forgiveness. To me, all of the violence and pain and sorrow and trauma that you talk about in this piece between your family, with your friends, in your work, with your community, so many different relationships in this small story, especially hearing you then read it out loud in your voice in a space that you created for such stories to be shared. There is something magical about that. You're like transubstantiating your pain into art. I, I know that that sounds pretty corny, but I felt that so intensely with your piece more than maybe even I've, I've experienced in my life as a creator. And I am just, this is part of the reason that I wanted to really have this conversation with you on this podcast and break down the process and talk more about the story in the context of the, of, of the book as it is released into the world and more and more people are going to, are going to get to experience it in the context of all the other stories of this book. And I'm just, um, I'm so grateful to you and I'm, uh, I feel so proud of us for making it happen. Everyone that contributed to making it happen. And I'm so glad that it's preserved in this, in this book for people to read for 
hundreds and thousands of years for the aliens to read. Oh God! Yes, <laughs> aliens get a hold of aliens get a hold of this this book. They're gonna be like, damn. Yeah, we'll be on the point. next the next golden record that you know NASA sends off into the totally into Chuck the Berry world. and we too. Yeah. No, I I'm. Thank you. I'm proud of this too. Um, I want to thank you as an editor too for really working with me in, in the structure because I'm a terrible editor of my own work. And I think, you know, most writers are. It's hard. Taking old writing and then fusing it into the new is, mm. you know, is also usually not recommended. Um, but this time it just felt like the right thing to do, especially since there were mirrors of, as you said before, of like two people who who were the offenders you always know that it is that you're on the right track when whether it's concrete detail or a theme or or something where you start to see parallels like if you're trying to to weave together two stories you know that it's going to be seamless when you're starting to see how things can play off one another and there's so much there's so much power in that yeah i do love writing when when it feels this feels this bloody, <laughs> it's bloody. i do love you know and sweaty and, and, and you know tear like... soaked and there's like earwax i'm just trying <laughs> like the but... dirt that gets under your fingernails i'm just like every kind of gunk yeah absolutely <laughs> digging in and 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 Tapping the vein is really important to me in my writing, in, in this kind of writing for me. And I do love it, but it is like that thing where it's, it is a sadomasochistic feeling of like, mm. you are, you need to tap that vein. You need to dig in deep. You can't really have people around you making small talk. You can't, you know, so like it is painful. And yet then it's so, you know, I'll use the word cathartic for lack of another word, but like it's, it's um it is that beating that you know resonates and feels so good afterwards and releases you of, of um of the pain as well so yeah you have a beautiful moment too in your piece of of articulating how how bdsm can be healing and there, there it it reminds me of a sequence in Lorelai Lee's piece too where she talks about both BDSM and porn making uh, in you, you both talk about it in a deeply felt and deeply thoughtful lyrical way. And, you know, my piece touches on those themes and, and I could go on and on with the, the pieces in here that, that list. I, I think that that's something that I really love about this book is that the, the moments, you know, in large part, the themes, are about pain and suffering, frankly, <laughs> um, and violence. And when people talk about the positive aspects of sex work, sex, BDSM, non-monogamy, you know, all of the different things that are that are explored in this book, it doesn't feel like an aside. It feels like a yes and, you know, it feels mm -hmm. like all of these things can and should and do exist side by side and like that's not hard for us to wrap our minds around it definitely seems to be hard for people who are 
anti-sex worker, anti-porn or anti-kink or homophobic or transphobic, mm -hmm. racist. Mm -hmm. It's hard for them to wrap their minds around for whatever fucking reason of being bigots. Right. But, um, which but is for us, it's like, yeah, dude, again, it's like you can't deny us personhood by like expecting right. it to be all good or all bad. Who thinks that that is the way that the world works? Right. And it makes me question, too, then how do they look at their own living experience? Oh, yeah. You know, can any human on this earth look at their own experience and say that it's 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 a perfectly consensual and happy time or that they're full on victims and everything has been completely out of their control and terribly, you know, that said, like, yes, you know, I'm not going to include in that children. Um, but the idea that like any of us in co coming to sex workers and saying that like, well, these are the reasons why sex work shouldn't exist because, you know, you've obviously been hurt. You've obviously experienced trauma within it is to say like, have you never experienced trauma, not only within your workspace, but in your day-to-day -day living? Like, <laughs> like, and then do we, and then do we, eliminate those spaces you know like every space that has ever had trauma well good luck with that mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yin i want to talk to you forever but i don't want to keep you all day <laughs> we've gone there i'm so proud of this book thank you for oh. co-creating this with natalie west and um i don't know if i've ever actually met i don't think i've ever actually met natalie west in person i hope to someday um when i'm out in LA hanging with you. Yes, come <laughs> over. Come over. We'll all yeah. go for a hike. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah. Natalie's brilliant and um, she worked really fucking hard for a really long time to make this book what it is today and I'm I'm glad I that tell. I could that I could help along the way and I am so glad for you and all of the people who are involved and I'm very excited for all of the listeners to be able to to get their hands on a copy, they can order it online at feministpress.org um, or as you've doubtlessly heard me say many times on the podcast already, both about this book and about Safe Sex, my comic, and really just any, any indie book, contacting your local bookstore and saying that you're interested in this book, pre-ordering it, ordering it by the time you hear this it's going to be out so you'll be able to order it you know that not only gets you a copy of the book and by the way this is true for wherever you are in the world you know people are always adding me on social media and saying I'm in Canada I'm in this country like when am I going to be able to get it and it's like okay well that's it's not actually my job but the answer to that question is always contact the person whose job it is which is your local bookseller and mm -hmm. letting them know that you're interested also lets them know that they that there is an interest and that there might be a broader interest. If you want to know more about the book, obviously there's the hashtag we too. If you're not already following me on Twitter and Instagram at Tina Horns Ass, that's where I will be posting about all of the online events, which you can obviously attend from anywhere in the world. There's about 40 contributors of this book, and we are just trying to get everybody involved in, in one reading or one panel or another. I know that Yin is going to do a couple and instead of naming them here, I'll just say watch my feeds and watch Yin's feeds on 
social media, which are? Instagram is at yinq13. And then you can usually see some of the events then would be on uh, yinq.net. And also, I would ask that any any sex workers who are listening, um, who are interested in posting to a private art gallery, oh, um, yes. please contact info at bodyofworkers.com or kinkoutevents at gmail.com. Yes, and where can people find out more about everything that is going on with kinkout? Well, we are going to keep things rather on the quiet at this time while we're doing beta <laughs> testing. Because gotcha. we want to, when we launch, when we truly launched, um, we want to make sure that all of the bells and whistles, but also all the privacy settings, all of the legal awesome. um, issues are sealed so that we can protect the workers who will be posting their their prof, um, their work, their art, their stories, um, as well as the the virtual space. Amazing! And if people want to find out about the archives of all of the work that Kinkout has done so far, kinkoutevents.com, and then also Instagram is at kinkoutevents. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <sighs> Yin, it is so, so wonderful to talk to you. Thanks for coming on the show again. And I can't wait to embrace you and sweat it out on the dance floor. You too. I love you. I love you too. <laughs> you. Enjoy the snow. Thank you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> <laughs> 